You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's a guest speaker. We have Heidi Linval, general partner at Pale Blue Dot, uh, the fund that focuses on investing in climate tech startups in Europe and the United States. And in this episode, we'll talk about climate tech startups. How do they work? How are they different from normal startups? How is investing process in climate tech different from the investment process in SaaS and B2B companies? And much more. So Heidi, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Pale Blue Dot. Sure. Happy to do so. Um, so my name is Heidi Lindvall. I am a general partner of Pale Blue Dot. We are a new climate tech fund. So we started in June 2020. So we're almost a year old now. Uh, and we invest in climate tech companies all over Europe and US. So early stage companies, so pre-seed and seed. Our sweet spot is kind of leading seed round. So normally it gets around a million euros. And um, climate tech for us is a very kind of wide concept. So we see climate tech startups in any sector, in fintech. We see them in uh, mobility, in food and agriculture, in uh, fashion supply chain. So it's, it's a really wide uh, term for us. And we often invest in kind of the the technology layer, often the software layer. So the highly scalable companies that do something positive for climate, that kind of ensures what we do. And um, my background is uh, actually in human rights, like about 10, 15 years ago now, I used to travel around the world making documentaries and social and global issues, um, really try to explore what problems we had on the ground. I then went into tech because I felt like this was such an amazing tool that we had at our disposal and we could use to try to solve some of these problems. So I built a few tech companies myself, um, spent some time in Silicon Valley. I've been based in London most of my career. So I was the first in London, that's where I built my companies, then spent some time in Silicon Valley. After that, I ended up setting up a few, a few different accelerators, one in London and then one in Sweden, then set up a microphone a few years ago and then started this climate tech fund about a year ago. So that's, that's me in short. Nice, Not very so rich background. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very, it's very brief. I love it. Um, first question is actually about the fund itself, about the name to be more specific. It's just mm-hmm. very special. Um, how how did you come <laughs> up with the name Pale Blue Dot, and why is it pale? How did you come up with that name? What does it mean? <laughs> sure. So Pale Blue Dot is actually a photograph that was taken of the Earth in 1990 from uh, the Voyager One. So from the spacecraft and it's this photograph where the earth is just seen as a tiny little pale blue dot. And then Carl Sagan uh, also wrote a book called Pale Blue Dot. And, and his, there's this famous speech uh, from that book. And there's a lot of videos and stuff. If you Google this as well, where, where uh, he'll, he'll be kind of narrating um, this bit of the book where, where he talks about the fact that everyone that you've ever loved, like everything that you've ever cared about is all on this tiny little speck of dust, this tiny little pale blue dot, and essentially talks about how we need to treasure that and how we need to take care of that and how that is the only home that we've ever known. So we just felt that it was such a powerful, uh, name to kind of use as a, to, to use for the fund because immediately the people who know pale blue dot and the people who know kind of call Sagan and this book and 
and the story, they already know kind of what we're all about. And then there's a lot of people who don't know it, but it feels like that one day that they figure that out, they'll think, huh, that's a really great name. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, that's a really cool name. I like it. I mean, even without knowing what it means, I kind of made that assumption. And then <laughs> it also sounds cool. It, it just sounds cool. That's that's it. That's the only requirement for a fun name, really. <laughs> just it has to sound <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, now let's move on to the serious discussion, which is climate tech startups. So can you give us a few examples of what qualifies as a climate tech startup specifically? Sure. So as I said, it's very wide. So if I give a few examples from our portfolio, um, for example, we have a company called Made From which is a UK company, they're building a material intelligence platform for brands. So essentially a SaaS platform that will help brands um, essentially figure out how sustainable their materials are and help them move towards more sustainable materials and, and really kind of benchmarking materials and, and really making sure that, that we can use that data in the best way possible. Um, then we have another company called Hack Your Closet which is a clothing rental subscription. So it's essentially you get a curated box, which is put together by a stylist every month of, uh, you know, great secondhand like clothes. It's, it's a, like a shared wardrobe of, of kind of high quality clothes uh, that kind of gets sent to you. And of course the idea is there just to, to reduce consumerism, reduce the consumption of clothing, the kind of crazy consumption of clothing that we're at at the moment. Then we have a company called Overstory that essentially uses a satellite imagery to measure trees and, and are working with utility companies to prevent forest fires. We have a company called Patch, that's a um, carbon removal API. They help uh, companies remove, uh, well, essentially offset their carbon or, or buy uh, carbon removal credits. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, multiple other companies um, we have a um, um, plastic, circular plastic marketplace called Surplus, for example. So those are some, just some ideas. And, and generally, I mean, they are normal startups. I mean, these are SaaS companies, they're marketplaces, they're apps, they're, um, they're some food companies as well. And, and some are more deep tech, but I, but I would generally say that like for us, climate tech is really the kind of layer uh, it's it's really the focus that they have, but it doesn't mean that they're different from other startups. It doesn't mean that they're kind of built in different ways or that they have different needs to what regular startups have as well. Mm -hmm. Very true. So uh, again, just one more question about you know differences in investing in uh, climate tech startups and let's call them regular startups. So when you're yeah. looking at pitch decks, what are the major you know three maybe four points that you're looking at? like right off the bat that you just have to find in order to continue looking at the presentation. Sure. And so one thing for, of course, it depends how well I know the industry, uh, if it is something we've looked at before, if not, then of course I would look at the problem and really try to understand what is the climate impact of this? Like how big is the problem? Is it a core problem? Is it, is it an actual pain point or is it something kind of, wouldn't it be nice if this could be replaced? So that's one thing I try to understand. Then of course there's this, it's the solution. Is this unique? Is it doable? Is there a market? Just really trying to understand where do they position themselves and is it kind of exciting enough for us to spend more time on it? And then the third, and probably the most important thing is the team. Um, it is very hard to get a really good idea of the team in the pitch deck, but I also think it's so vital just trying to understand 
how strong is the team? Is there a team? Is it one person? Is there a team? You kind of get an idea by how big the team is, how long they've been working on this and how far they've come as well. Um, do they have experience from building other companies? Where, where, where does their experience come from? Do you believe that this team have the skills that are needed in order to solve this problem? Um, is it a diverse team? I mean, there's so many different things we look at here and sometimes it's really disappointing when you just kind of see one black and white picture and like no other context. And you're just like, this, this tells me nothing. Like I have no idea who you are, what your background is like, like you're not really selling it. Because I think, mm -hmm. I mean, we must at such an early stage that the team is the most important thing of everything. But saying that, like, normally we obviously get to know them at a bit of a later time. But, you know, we get a lot of decks. We, we don't have a time to have meetings with everyone. So, you know, you should definitely try to pack as much information on your team and, and well, on your company in general into that deck. Absolutely. Whenever I see a presentation where, you know, they pay very little or no detail to the actual team slides, I'm like, okay, these people are new to startups. I just know it for a fact, you know, <laughs> because yeah. everyone who has built startups in the past there, they pay so much attention to the team. They, they make really good description of the team members because it's, it's just that important. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on, actually, I forgot to ask you the, the standard question that asks pretty much every single investor that comes on fundraising radio, which is, uh, what do you invest in, in terms of field, which is climate tech? Mm -hmm. I'm going to move on from that topic, uh, fields, uh, check size and average, uh, stage that you come into. Sure. So we invest the pre-seed and seed stage average ticket size is around a million euros. So I would say that we could do anything between 200,000 euros and 2 million, but the kind of sweet spot is a million euros. And, uh, um, yeah, well, what was else? Average stage size, average ticket size. And was there anything else? <laughs> there was the field. Do you prefer B2B, SaaS, oh, um, uh, direct to consumer? No, no preference really. Um, no, there was a time that we said, oh, maybe we'll do more to B2B because that's something that we knew uh, mm -hmm. better. And I think most of us had uh, the, the three GPs had more experience and saying that now we've done a few consumer and, and they're doing really well and nice. they're doing really well and it's going really well with them as well. So, um, no, I, I, I wouldn't say it's specific in that one. For us, I mean, it is about the climate impact. Uh, it is about trying to understand um, how scalable it is, how big the market is, et cetera. So it is all the kind of, more generic things um, mm -hmm. that we look at. And geographically, you invest both in Europe and the United States. Uh, first, let's yeah. talk about European investments. Are you investing in like all across the Europe or you mainly focus on a few particular countries based in Europe? Uh, we can invest all across Europe. And now, of course, with um, with the pandemic, it means that we haven't really met most of the startups we have invested mm -hmm. in, and even the ones in Sweden, even the ones in Stockholm, we haven't met. So, so, um, yeah, it doesn't really make a difference to us where they are. Um, and yeah, all around Europe and all around us, I mean, most of our investments are in Europe just because our networks here are slightly mm -hmm. stronger. Um, but, uh, we have two investments in, in us out of, uh, 11 so far. Nice. And, um, yeah, and we're actively looking there as well. So great spread. I'll make sure to send people your way if I see someone interested in climate tech. But now let's compare European startup founders versus American startup founders. That's a subject I absolutely love to discuss. So based on <laughs> your knowledge, you know, based on those uh, your of your particular companies or maybe startup founders that you spoke with, what's the major difference between startup founders based in Europe and based in the United States of America? 
Well, generally, I would say that there is no difference in terms of uh, um, skills and knowledge and uh, in terms of ability. And there's definitely no shortage of great ideas in Europe. What we're not necessarily as good at is, first of all, being really kind of confident in our abilities or um, just really showing externally our level of ambition. Um, it's something that sometimes I feel like a little bit swallowed here in Europe. Well, in US, it is more acceptable to be like a you know hustler entrepreneur and really be super ambitious. Um, that's something that I think we have the level of ambition here. It's just a little bit frowned upon. <laughs> it, it, it shouldn't be as externally visible. Um, and then I think Americans are often better at pitching and kind of sales and, and that side of things. Um, but I think in terms of building really great, sustainable companies, um, I think we're really good at that in Europe. In Europe. And, um, you know, we're really, we're, we're really good at just kind of building things that are around for longer. We're very kind of thoughtful in that. So, yeah, I think there's kind of pros and cons to both. Sometimes we need uh, good, stable European uh, companies with uh, some great American hustlers to kind of help out, or at least that mentality to some extent. Absolutely, very true. As a European myself, I can guarantee you that Hai's uh, words are hundred percent true. It's very, <laughs> very visible difference right there, and yeah, it's just just different mentalities. Um, mm -hmm. Looking forward to see some some more of that, you know, exchange. Definitely Americans have a ton of stuff to learn from Europeans and vice versa. Um, so yeah. let's talk a little bit more about my second, probably, okay, my favorite, very, very favorite topic, which is mistakes um, mm -hmm. or problems to be more specific. So, <laughs> you know, the good stuff of about investing in climate tech is obvious. Everyone knows it, you know, you're changing the world to better. We all know it. It's, it's just facts and you're not just saying it. Uh, what about mm -hmm. some downsides about investing in climate tech? Is there some, you know, maybe some legislations that continuously, uh, you know, slow you down or is there some like big problems about investing in climate tech that maybe some future investors should be uh, aware of? I actually think the exciting thing is that, um, climate tech itself is, um, so if I word it differently, there is actually nothing that makes it bad to invest in climate tech. I think climate tech is the really scalable version of a positive climate impact. It, you know, we often invest in, you know, like I said, software companies, uh, companies that are, have the same kind of potential as any other scalable startups, but they have an added or core climate impact. So, so it's really just an added positive. Now, I think sometimes climate tech gets confused with kind of clean tech and especially kind of the clean tech movement that happened before, but, but and those often were high capex companies that needed more capital, they needed more time to market. And of course, there's a certain overlap. There are some companies within climate where maybe there isn't a market yet um, and maybe um, and maybe they do need a little bit more, more, uh, time just because they're building, or it's a very kind of research heavy area, uh, or they need more capital. Uh, 
Um, but uh, that's not always the case. I mean, like the examples I gave of the marketplaces and SaaS companies, there's really no differentiation here. And this is also why I think climate tech is such a hot investment area right now, because investors are really realizing that why would you not invest in this space? And and then if it comes to, when it comes to regulations, etc., it's actually really pushing the growth in this industry because we're seeing regulations on. Um, for example, clothes, like you can't incinerate clothes anymore, which means that big brands are wondering what are they going to do with all their overstocks? So that's enabling business models such as rentals, such as secondhand stores, or we're seeing regulations in plastics and that's enabling things like recyclable plastic marketplaces that we've also backed. So we're actually seeing a lot of regulations that are enabling climate businesses. And I think these are the biggest opportunities we have right now purely from an economical standpoint and purely from a from a return of investment standpoint. So um, I think that's the really exciting thing about climate tech right now. It really isn't a compromise. It is really just the smartest place to be as any investor. Um, and, you know, people are sadly for us, everyone. Well, not really sadly for us. It's great that everyone's realizing this. There's plenty of problems to solve. There's plenty mm -hmm. of companies to back. But of course, it does mean that it's becoming a pretty competitive area, which means that, of course, valuations are going up, et cetera. But it's, oh, yeah. still, be it's still better that way. It's still better that everyone's realizing the potential in this space. Absolutely. I mean, that's what valuations tend to do. They tend to go mm -hmm. up and we're happy when that happens. Sorry. <laughs> Not like in a way we're happy. That means the economy is doing good. Uh, moving on to some mistakes. So I know that pretty much every single industry founders in pretty much every single industry have their own like pattern of mistakes. So like in Robotech, people tend to focus too much on tech development and just completely ignore the consumer side of it. And then when they finish that robot, they're like, oh, damn it, no one needs it. All right, let's move on. Mm -hmm. um, is there some certain like set of mistakes that founders in climate tech specifically tend to make a lot? I think that the the, the one thing I can think of is that I think some people are trying to maybe reinvent the, reinvent the wheel a little bit too much in the sense of thinking of climate tech startups to being somehow very different from kind of, I don't know, regular startup or old school startups or whatever you want to call them. And, <laughs> and, I, and, I think, and I think the problem there is that we don't have the luxury of creating a whole new way of building startups mm -hmm. in order to solve climate change. I mean, we can do that in time, sure. But at the moment, we kind of have 10 critical years that we need to uh, you know, have made a considerable reduction in our carbon emissions. And so, so I think we need to use the model that we, we've built before. We need to see what can we take that the startup world has taught us about scaling, about growth, about recruitment, about, uh, you know, a lot of different things. And, and, and how can we kind of implement this to these uh, climate tech startups? And, and I think that's the way to go. So, I, but I often see people who are kind of thinking, no, 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 we need to start everything from scratch. Like we shouldn't look at how people have done things before. But I just feel like we don't have luxury of time. So that's that's kind of one of the mistakes I see that I think that people are trying to disassociate themselves from kind of regular startups a little bit too much. Um, in part from that, in terms of mistakes, um, I think that the other thing is just that we, in climate tech, we often find that people aren't 
as good at pitching um, as they are in sometimes in, in other kind of sectors where where again you've kind of almost been expected to pitch like any other startup. Like here you think, hey, it's a really complex problem and I'm just gonna break it down and I'm gonna send a deck of 50 pages. And then we're just sitting there trying to get through and try to understand what are they actually doing. And I think, again, this is so much we can learn from how any other startup would have done it, like a 10 to 12 page pitch and really kind of try to break it down. Because in the end, us as investors, we're not climate scientists. We're not experts. You know, we know startups and we're trying to enable climate tech startups. Um, but, you know, we don't have all of that extra expertise in the sector. Of course, we spend a lot of time learning about climate, so we probably know more than many other generalist VCs about the space, but we're still not uh, scientists and we're we're definitely not uh, experts. So I think that people spend too much time just trying to focus on what their specific problem looks like and really trying to break it down uh, for a really, really, really long time instead of just figuring out how do you do how do you present the problem in one page and the solution in one page and the market in one page? Like, how do you just do a very kind of generic, mm -hmm. easy, digestible deck? So that is something that I feel like we see a lot, especially when it comes to more of the um, research heavy, deep tech, uh, hardware uh, startups. And, and that sometimes makes it a lot harder for us to move fast because, you know, we have to take quite a long time understanding whether this is even a good investment opportunity. Mm-hmm. Very true. I love how you call people general species. <laughs> it's just, right. uh, it's, it's a cool term. I love it. I'll probably start using it myself. Did I say that general species? Yeah, you did. What? <laughs> you did. I, I put yeah. some quotes in the notes uh, from the episode <laughs> so that I can put it up on my uh, Twitter account later on. So that was most definitely going up. General species? We're like, I don't know what I was, I, I don't know general what public, to say there. Uh, general yeah, public, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. sure that's what you were trying to say, but that sounds good. Yeah. I'll keep yeah. it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's move on to the major topic of the entire podcast, which is fundraising in general. So uh, focusing on climate tech in this specific episode, um, what would be your advice to early stage startup founders who are just, you know, trying to figure out how to raise their very, very first check for their climate tech startup? The first thing would be to really think about whether you need to raise. Um, have you explored the idea as far as you can without raising money? Um, and really try to figure out how you can test the idea in a really lean way. Like, how can you can you design something that you can present to clients? Can you can you do some surveys? Can you interview some people? Like, what can you do? And have you actually done? Um, everything you can to really figure out whether this is a good idea to pursue this. And then of course, if you've done everything, you built what you can, you kind of assemble the team or at least have people kind of ready and waiting and you start fundraising, then really do your homework. Try to figure out what it is that you need uh, and what type of investors you should be targeting at that stage. You know, we do see people who just kind of come with a deck and say, hey, I'm raising like 3 million. And, and you know, they haven't really thought it through. They don't really know why and from whom and and what they're going to do with the money. Um, and and there just isn't a full plan yet. So I think you just like fundraising is a really, you know, it is a very complex thing. Like you have to figure out who are the best match. It's it's a 
it's not just about you know finding anyone who will give you money it's a it's a much longer uh term longer term relationship and it's much of a bigger thing so i think it's just you know give it the time it needs to really really figure out um what your needs are before you kind of head to fundraising and then also realize that vc funding for example is not for everyone it's definitely not for everyone in the climate space either as i mentioned there's a lot of companies that are really research heavy they're really they are high capex companies um this is maybe not the best type of funding for them for them maybe for the first you know one two three four years maybe they can see if there's grant funding maybe there's loans maybe there's project financing like there's a lot of different options out there so you also have to realize that yeah vc funding and building a startup startup isn't always the best way to go if you're trying to solve any problem absolutely and yeah for 90 percent of our listeners based in the united states uh people check out opengrants.io really cool platform mm -hmm. to find grants so definitely check it out uh for the rest of our listeners most of them are based in europe i'll follow up with heidi uh to talk about grants and the best sources to find them so people check out the description of this episode most likely there are going to be a few links uh to find grants specifically in europe and specifically for climate tech startups so definitely check it out um on this point, moving on to the very last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So Heidi, what do you want to listen to do as soon as the episode is over? I would like you to either start a climate tech company, think about <laughs> what it is that you know that no one else knows and think about uh, what you can build and how you can contribute. I mean, this is the greatest problem that we are facing right now and we do need everyone uh, involved and if you're not in a position to start something you don't want to you know build something yourself join a climate tech startup mm -hmm. where you can check out our portfolio they're all recruiting constantly because they are all failing um and of course there's loads of other climate tech startups i just think we need everyone we really do need everyone to kind of come together and do kind of as much as they can uh for this and it's it's also it's the most urgent thing that we have to solve right now so you know i think most people who come into climate tech they don't end up regretting it so that's what i would urge everyone to do absolutely and yeah i mean i've interviewed a founder of a company whose climate tech startup had a really nice exit so it can <laughs> also be extremely profitable so people definitely consider that field and my call to action is going to be check out the description of this episode. We're going to make sure to include a bunch of links mentioned in this episode. Specifically, I'll follow up with Heidi uh, so that she can share the uh, list of those you know, portfolio companies of hers that are looking to recruit. There's going to be a link to opengrants.io, maybe another grant resource. Also, there is going to be a LinkedIn of Heidi. Also, there is going to be a link to Pale Blue Dot and maybe something else, uh, but... In general, there is going to be a ton of useful information there, so check it out, and as usually, have a good day.